Amen. So in Colossians chapter number three, we're going to be beginning in uh, verse number 12. And what we're looking at here is this contrast, uh, this man of God that the apostle Paul is, is describing his affections are on the things above and not on the things of the world. And that is so emblematic of, of the situation that we see in the church world today because so many of us, our affections are on everything else. From, goat, from billy goats to go-karts, our affections run amok. It, it, and we see that, and then we wonder why we don't see God move in our life, but yet we allow our affections to be spent on the things of the world. We, if, if, we're, if we let our affections attach to the things below heaven, we, we cannot be surprised when we don't experience mighty moves of God in our lives. I've been in services before where God was moving and people were coming to altars and God was just, just ministering mightily and yet some people were unwilling to be moved. Amen. Why? Because their affection was not on the things of God. And when our affections are misplaced, we will become inconsistent in the reality of our, in our walk with God. Have you ever, do you ever see that in your own life? Now, I know that we're inconsistent in some areas because none of us are, none of us have arrived yet. But inconsistency, inconsistency keeps us back from God's blessing sometimes in our life and the spiritual liberty that God has for us because we're unwilling to live a consistent, spirit-filled Christian life. A consistent, spirit-filled Christian life is a life lived in surrender, a life of repentance and a life of dependence on God. So uh, Hudson Taylor, he said one time, he said that, you know, you don't have a concert and then tune your instrument. And in the same way, you don't go about your day and then try to live for God. You have to tune yourself into God. You have to begin your day before the Lord. Amen. You don't have the concert first. And, and, and what happens is that will result in an inconsistent Christian life unto the Lord when we try to live the concert but not spend time tuning the equipment, if you will. So Hudson Taylor was exactly right in that. And he was an amazing missionary, amazing man of God, and had the zeal of the Lord. And we need God to raise up some Hudson Taylors in our day, in this generation. We need those prophetic voices to go out. But you know what? God's not looking for superstars. He's looking for willing vessels. You don't have to have a you don't have to have the right kind of name. You don't have to have fame. You don't have to have a, a, a post hole digger behind your name. You don't have to have any of that. You just have to be a willing vessel and God will use you. God will use you in your area of influence and he might even use you in a greater way. But too many of us are trying to do the concert without the tuning of the equipment. 
And one of the things that we see here in this passage in Colossians 3 is that's this contrast that the Apostle Paul is, is laying out. But let's just pick it up right here in the middle because you know what? If you're going to do it, just do it in the middle, right? So we'll just pick up this passage here in the middle in verse number 12. It says, put on therefore as the elect of God. Now, this is an amazing passage because uh, not necessarily about election, but if you're a, if you're a child of God, you're expected to put these things on. In, in other words, the elect of God are expected to have these qualities in their life. Amen? You know that God, God, doesn't, God is not looking at the world, scratching his head, wondering why the world's acting like the world. That's what we do. We, we wonder why the world acts like the world. Well, why, you know, why is the world acting like that? Because they're not right with God yet. But if you've been made right with God through the blood of Jesus, he expects you to walk with the Spirit. He expects you to walk a different walk and talk a different talk. If, God's been, if God has saved you and filled you with his Holy Spirit, he doesn't expect you to live like the world anymore. And that is, that is a, a, a big climactic shift for what we see a lot of times in the church world because a lot of times we're just too busy making excuses for people instead of calling them to righteousness and holiness and and, and, you know that is well that that's just harsh right there that's what the lord does he if if somebody's not willing to live a holy life there's a problem and and i say that with all the love that i have in me if somebody is refusing to live holy unto God, there's a problem, okay? It, because without holiness, no man will see the Lord. That's Hebrews chapter 12. And, and, and whether we like it or not, that's the reality of the matter. And, and, and God calls his people to live holy, and you, you, you can have all these images about what holiness is, but holiness is godliness, be ye holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. God calls us to that place of living set apart from the current world. If it's acceptable to the world, that, that's one thing, but it's different when it's acceptable to God. And when you live a life acceptable and pleasing to God, listen to this, you're going to grieve the world. You're not going. You're not going to run in conjunction with God and the world. That's what's trying to be pumped out in a lot of places today. It is trying to blend the world and God at the same time. You're going to grieve one because the love of the world is not the same as the love of God. 1 John chapter 2. So one of the things that we see here, he said, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, 
there's a lot of positive things in here, and I want to key in on a couple of them. Number one is that the holy and beloved is that life set apart and knowing that you're loved of God. A life set apart and knowing that you're loved of God. Before you begin to live for God, you have to have the life of God in you. God never requires you to live to live out what he hasn't put in. He never calls you to live out what he doesn't put in. But if you're a child of God, he's put some things in you. And he's asking you to let those things manifest out. To manifest out. And, and, and so that's why he, it's so important. I don't want you to miss this. He calls you elect, and then he says, holy and beloved. No, God has called you and set you apart from the world, and he has set his heart on you. God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And how much more us? I mean, if God loved us when we were enemies, how much more now that we've been reconciled to God through the cross? How much more God loves us and God wants us to get that in. And, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in, in thematic things, but we have to get back to that place where we realize and understand God loves us. It's the love of God that changes people. Once you realize that even in your sin, God loved you, it should do something. And how much more now that you've been made right with God, still knowing God loves you. He truly loves you. You know that God's love is perfect. And you know perfect love casts out all fear. Amen? Now, continuing in this, there's just, you know, there's good stuff in here. We're going to get into it in, in, in a little bit in another area. But the bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, these things, these qualities will tend to result in a godly life. These, these are produced by the fruit of the Spirit. As long as you're walking in the Spirit, these things will manifest. But notice in verse number 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, I want to I look at forbearing and forgiving. It's two different concepts. A lot of times we, we spend time talking about forgiveness, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about forbearance. If you've ever defaulted on a loan, you probably know what that word means. But if you haven't, you may not. Forbear means to look past or look over somebody's fault. It means to look over their shortcoming. That's what it means to forbear. And somebody who, you know, may not be able to pay a bill, they may call the company and ask for forbearance, and they'll let them slide one month. And you're like, who does that? Well, I don't know, but, but that's what that word, it's where that word comes from. That's how it's used in our day-to-day. -day. It's used that way because we don't use it in the church like we should. That's why it's so antiquated, because we don't use it. And there it is right there, telling us, God's telling us 
to be forbearing with one another. How do we be forbearing with one another? It's when you know somebody's going to come short. I'm not talking about size. Short of what you expect people to be. Do you know that there's, there's times that you may be around somebody and you're like, oh, brother so-and-so is going to be there tonight. I know I'm going to hear 15 jokes about, you know, the, the Wild West. Or I, I'm going to hear stories about how it used to be when he used to rebuild motors. I know, I know a brother so-and-so is there. I know I'm going to hear one of those stories. Y'all might be like, yeah, brother Kenny's there. I know what I'm going to hear about it. But, you know, God calls us, God calls us through this verse. He's telling us to be willing to look past people's faults. Be willing to deal with them compassionately. A, a, somebody who is a forebearer is not a fault finder, but a fault coverer. That is a huge difference. Is somebody who says, you know what, if, if brother so-and-so is going to be there, I know I'm going to have to talk about, you know, this, that, and the other. I don't want to talk about it. I know I'm going to spend 15 minutes talking about how they used to make motors in 1957. They don't make them like they used to. And, and, and I'm going to have to go through all that, and I don't care anything about that kind of stuff. And you try to avoid them. You know what you're doing? You're not being forbearing. Why is it so important to forbear with one another? Because God's teaching you how he forbears with us. If, if you're not willing to forbear with others, you're not understanding that God has been putting up with our own selves. Amen. Because we know, we know there's times that we probably have some shortcomings. We know God probably says, oh, here comes Brother Kenny. I know what he's going to pray about. And there's times in our life that we're not willing to extend that same forbearance to others to say, you know what, I'm going to love them even in their shortcoming. Forbearing is to be compassionate. It's, it's, to, take, it's to take their shortcoming and love them through it. That's what it means to be forbearing. It, there's there's a lot of a, a, a lot of definitions that you can use for 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 uh, forbearing and it, they're great, but it basically is looking past shortcomings. And, and and you know anybody that's ever been married can tell you that one. Or if you have kids, you have to look past their shortcomings. But we're talking about in the church world. We're talking about in the church world and being willing to look past other people's faults. And you know what? You, you, might, you might get to the point where you, you try to zip your lips, but you know God knows what's in your heart. And you know that God, you know that you can communicate through body language even if you don't use earthly language. You can roll your eyes. You can huff and puff. You can stomp your feet you can turn your back you can do you know you can communicate to other people you can fold your arms and take a big sigh and look look to the wall what is it? you and then if they get upset and they say well why aren't you why are you acting like that and you say well i didn't say anything 
Well, not with earthly words, but you used body language. But God, God can reveal what's in, even in our hearts through the way that we act towards one another. You might say, well, you know, if sister so-and-so brings her, uh, her family member, I know they're going to park in my spot, or I know they're going to sit in my pew. I know they're going to sit in my place, or they're going to sing loud, and it just annoys me, or they're going to bring their kid, and their kid's going to run over here and run over there. But you know what? That's not being forbearing, is it? Forbearing is when we're willing to look past other people's faults. Why? So that they can receive what they need from God. Because newsflash, there was a time in our lives that we weren't perfect. And somebody looked past our shortcomings enough so that we could get to an altar somewhere. Or maybe somebody looked past our shortcomings enough so that we could receive from God. And yet we don't want to extend that same compassion towards others. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be merciful like you are. Lord, help us to look at others with the eyes through the Spirit to see these are, these are children that you have died for. These are souls that were purchased at Calvary. Let us not do anything to cause them to stumble or not come to the cross but let us be forbearing with them. If you've got to hear Brother Bill's story about throwing the touchdown pass when he was in high school for the umpteenth time, do it. God's called the church to forbear, and God's not going to ask you to do something that he doesn't himself do. When you're talking about the working of the Spirit and, and we look at our lives and we wonder sometimes why we have inconsistency in, the, in our spiritual life when we're not walking like we should with the Lord and yet we don't extend compassion and we don't extend kindness and we're not willing to look past the shortcomings of others and then we wonder why we're not walking with the Spirit like we should. We say, you know what? I, you know, I didn't get anything out of that church service. I didn't get anything out of that worship. Well, you, maybe you didn't because the faucet's turned off. Because you're not, you're not walking with the Lord like you should. We're going to see in a minute, you might be actually grieving the Spirit of God because you're unwilling. You're unwilling to allow the love of God to move through your life to other people. You kind of shut that flow off. And sometimes in our own lives, we, you know, we get put off with people. I'm just tired of them. I mean, if they come around, I know what they're going to ask. They're going to they're gonna ask me for this, or they're going to want to talk about that, and, they're, and I know they're not even going to say thank you, and I'm just tired of it. I know they're not even going to thank me. I know they're not going to, I know they're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm, next time they come to me, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. And yet scripture stands against us. Scripture stands against us. And we wonder why there's inconsistency 
in our spiritual walk. When scripture is not going to change. Either we're going to change, or we're going to be hard-headed and not walk in the power of the Spirit. But the scripture is not going to change. Scripture will change us if we let it, right? Amen. Scripture will change us if we let it. Now, look at the next part. It says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. What does it mean to forgive somebody? To let it go. Let it go. Uh, you know, I heard somebody say one time, well, forgiving is acting like it never happened. No, it's not. Forgiving is knowing it happened, but letting it go. It, forgiving is a trespass, acknowledging the trespass, but say, you know what? I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. That, you know, whenever, the, whenever Peter asked the Lord, how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody? 70 times seven? He didn't say, well, just, you know, it's just once. That's it. No, it's 70 times seven. That means you, you acknowledge this is a trespass, but I'm not holding it against you. I'm going to love you anyways. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. That's what forgiveness is. That's what God does to us. He doesn't act like our sin never existed. He dealt with it at Calvary. He, it's not like he just waved a magic wand and said, oh, yeah, I'm not going to, uh, you know, it's like it never happened. No, no, no. It happened, and our sin had to be dealt with, and the Lamb of God had to go to the cross and had to bear that for us. Otherwise, we'd still be in our sins and trespasses. Otherwise, we would still be dead in our sins, not able to receive from God. So this forgiveness um, is a powerful thing. And if you're not, and I'll say this, if you, if you look over at, at, you know, the Lord was teaching how to pray. Let me show you this in Matthew uh, Mark chapter 11. If, if you will, just turn with me real quick over there. Mark, Mark chapter 11, verse 25. This is a powerful concept about forgiveness. That you just don't see in our lives. We, we want God to forgive us, but we don't want to be willing to forgive others or even forbear them, forbear them. Look what it says here in Mark 11, verse 25. Jesus said, and when you stand praying, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I love doing, it's like, if the Lord was watching us, would he be like, when are you gonna stand praying? Because he said, and he said, when you stand praying, but I think for some of us, sadly, the Lord's probably saying, when are you going to stand praying? Because some of us are too busy with our affections to pray. So he said, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. How amazing is that? What is that ought? If you have ought against any, you know what that is? It says anyone or anything. 
if you're not willing to let it go. You know, anyone or anything means anyone or anything. Well, yeah, but they did this to me. But we don't see what we did to God. Anyone or anything means a willingness to hold God rather than the ought. We have to be willing to let go of the ought to hold to God. Those old ministers in the, in the Old Testament, when they would grab hold of those horns on the altar, they would have to let go of everything else. It would, you would be extended out. It was almost like a picture of the cross with arms fully extended. You can't hold on to the remote control and the horns of the altar. You have to let it go. You have to let it go. And that's a picture of us having to let go of whatever ought that has come against you. If you live and you have a pulse, things have come against you in life. But you have to be willing to choose God and hold to him rather than the ought. That's where healing begins. That's where healing begins is when you want God more than you want revenge. You, you know what I'm saying? When you want God more than you want the, the, the title of being right. Well, I'm never going to let them borrow my lawnmower again. I'm never going to go over there. I'm never going not to, not until they crawl on their belly and come over here and kiss my boot. This, this, this kind of stuff happens more than we want to admit it. But God said, if you have ought, you got to let it go if you want to experience the life of God in you. You want God to forgive you? You want to be right with God? You want to be consistent in your walk with God? You need to let the ought go. And if you're unwilling, and a lot of times we're unwilling to let the ought go because we look at their shortcomings and hold their shortcomings against them. Well, I, I know that, that uh, brother so-and-so's kid's going to lie or he's going to steal, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. But you know what? We have to be willing to walk through those things and to let those things go and hold to God. Or we cannot expect God to move in our own lives. And sometimes some of us, we, we're in a place where we're stuck, where God's not moving, where we're not hearing from God anymore, or we're not shedding those tears like we once did. Our, the, the, the pages of our Bible no longer have tears on them anymore. Now it's got dust or, you know, something like that. Why? The tears stop when we begin to hold the ought instead of holding to God. When, 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 when the altars are empty, when, when, when nobody's singing, when nobody's worshiping, when nobody's pouring out their heart, when nobody, like that, you know, remember the woman with the, the uh, alabaster box? We, we would rather hold on to something, some issue, than to take our alabaster box and break it on his feet. And I just remind you, I just remind you, he's worth breaking your alabaster box for. He's worth lavishing the best of who you are and what you have on. 
and, and, and the enemy is so subtle at getting us distracted about issues and not forbearing one another that we get complacent and we get in a rut where we're no longer lavishing our praise and our love on Jesus Christ. We serve a God bigger than us. And he's bigger than the issues around us. And he's worth letting ought go so that you can love on him as you should. Amen. Leonard Ravenhill, he said, he believed that 30 seconds inside eternity were all going to be grieved. 30 seconds inside eternity, it's going to hit us. I should have loved him more. I should have prayed more. And I should have spent more time working in the kingdom. Now, but then it's too late. Today's the day that we're supposed to esteem him as he is and love him as, he, as we should and worship him just like that woman with the alabaster box. Not holding back because somebody, well, you know, I... I, I, I'm not going to do anything because they, they didn't do this and they didn't do that. And if I go up there to that altar, they're going to think there's something wrong with me. Who cares? Why are you going to let somebody hold you back from liberty? At some point, we got to be willing to let go so that we can grab hold of those horns of the altar. And nothing's going to change in our life till we do. You can change out the light bulbs. You can get a new PowerPoint presentation. You can get the Milky Way on a TV screen behind you. But it's nothing's going to change between us and God until we let go of those things and grab hold of the altar. Grab hold of the work of God. Grab hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is just it's playing switcheroo with plates and swapping things out. But the traction takes place when God's people walk as he says, that consistent spiritual walk. Now, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter number four. We're going to pick up the, the corresponding passage to the one we were in. Ephesians chapter number four. We're going to pick it up in verse number 29. And what, what we see here in Ephesians 4, this, this is that, the corresponding passage to Colossians. And there, there's two things that are re remarkable, three out of this. There are, there's a, there's a list of negatives that the Lord says that we shouldn't do. But then there's the building. Then there's the, the, the things, the positive, the thing that we should do. And sandwiched in the middle of the negatives is what I believe we need to get a grasp of in our lives today. It is grieving the Spirit of God. Some of us, some of us would rather grieve others than grieve God. But some of us will grieve God so that we don't look foolish 
to others. We have it backwards in our lives. Now, as I was saying earlier, the, the world and God flow in two different streams. And if you're flowing with the world, you're going to grieve God. But if you're flowing with God, the world's going to be grieved at you. You will stick out like a sore thumb. So let's get into this. It's just a few verses here, verses 29 through 32. This is Ephesians 4. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Ooh, how many of us need that? <laughs> how many of us, just that verse right there, that verse right there, we need to get that one down. What does it mean to have a corrupt communication? Corrupt means rotten or worthless. How many times do we enter into conversations about things that have no eternal value? You know, the other person that you talk to, they may be talking about trivial things, but you know what? If you're a child of God, you have the responsibility to take the conversation to an eternal perspective. They want to talk about the gutter? Tell them God made the gutter. They want to talk about cars and how cars can do this and cars can do that? Tell them about what God can do. They want to talk about politicians? Talk about how Jesus is king. And he don't ever get voted out. He'll never get impeached. You, you, as a child of God, can redeem every situation you're in. You can bring light from glory into other people's lives. You can build hope and you can get them to a point where they think about heavenly things. But if we're not willing to forbear other shortcomings... Live in forgiveness toward them and allow corrupt things to come out of our mouth. We're not going to redeem the situation. We're going to pour gasoline on it. We're not going to direct the conversation heavenly. We're going to keep it earthly. And, and this is what the Lord's getting at here. You know what? There are, there's going to be a day that we stand before God. And on that day, we will regret those times that we were unforgiving or unforbearing with others. I, I know brother so-and-so. I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do, and I'm just going to, I'm not doing, I'm, you know. Or I know what sister so-and-so is going to do, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of talking about that with her. I'm tired of going over there and doing that with her. I'm tired of it. I'm not going to do it. Or I know that if I do this, they're going to do that. This inability to express compassion through forbearing and forgiving is ungodly. And, and we can't expect to consistently walk in the Spirit if we consistently walk in this kind of ungodliness. No matter how many worship songs you sing, if you're not willing to walk with God, you're not going to have the power of God in your life. A.W. Tozer said he feared, this, think about this, this was in the 50s. He said, I fear we are worshiping worship rather than worshiping and communing with the living God. 
was in the 50s. What do you think he would think about today? When the church has uh, multiplied its ungodliness, multiplied its complacency, multiplied its sin, and worship is like a rock concert now. What do you think he would think about that? There, you know that there's a difference between worshiping worship and communing with God. Because if you commune with God, you're going to be changed. If you receive from God, you're going to walk out what you received. So, reminded sometimes of a conversation I overheard in a church I was ministering at or overheard a guy, he was teaching a new sound technician and he said, if nobody's doing anything and you want to see the Holy Spirit move, just turn the reverb up. And what he meant by that was, and if you don't know what that means, he was meaning while worship's going on, if nobody's doing anything, turn up that reverb switch and people will think that God's moving. They're manufacturing a move of God. And this happens in all kinds of places. But you know what? That's just worshiping worship. It's not communing with God. When you commune with God, it gets nitty and gritty. You have to actually look at somebody, realize that they irritate you, realize they rub you the wrong way, and forbear them, and forgive them, and not allow corrupt things to come out of your mouth. That's when you're beginning to walk with the Spirit. Not just when you go to some people's concert at the CenturyLink Center. It's actually a reality that God changes people. It's, it's allowing the life of God to flow in you and through you. Not being inconsistent. Not being inconsistent. But let's continue in this. This he said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. What do you need grace for? How do you extend grace to others? By, by, by being connected to God and speaking godly things into their lives. Right? Hey, the devil is a mighty good discourager. He doesn't need you. You, you want to run down a church or you want to run down a minister, you want to run down one of your brothers or sisters in the Lord, look, the devil's got a lot of people in his army that he can use to do that. Why don't you say, well, he's not going to use me anymore to tear down that person. But allow, if God's given you a mouth and God's given you breath and God's given you a tongue and you can speak, allow God to use you to bring grace into people's lives and edify them. What that word edify means build them up, encourage them. Anybody can tear people down. Any old, any old carnal or worldly person can tear somebody down, but it takes a child of God who's walking in the power of the Spirit to be used to build people up. And that's what God wants to do 
in you and in me. It's to build one another up through the grace of God. Look at this next part, verse 30. And grieve, notice how this is sandwiched in there. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. This grieve means afflict with sorrow. This verse means that you can actually afflict with sorrow the Spirit of God by not walking with God, but walking in the flesh. How sad is it that we could know all kinds of script? You know, you could have you could have all 66 books of the Bible memorized and not be forgiving or forbearing. You you could look at other people and just say, you know, that that saying we have in the in the South, bless your heart. And and what that means is, I'm glad I'm not you. We, we, we can do that. We, we, and, and, but, you know, God sees what we meant when we said that. God sees that we're not truly being forbearing. We're not truly edifying. We're not truly building up. What does that mean? You know, at some point, like I said earlier, at some point in your life, somebody spent time with you. Somebody put their arm around you. Somebody sewed into you. Somebody helped build you up. And, and you might be saying, Brother Kenny, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. Well, then be the one that changes it. If nobody's done it for you, and, and you know that's what God wants to do, be the change. It's like family curses. They don't have to continue with you. The blood of Jesus stops them all. It don't matter what your heritage is. You're a child of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It stops with me. Say it, it stops here. From this point forward, we're going to walk with God, not holding anything from the past. But you have to be willing to actually walk with God. You have to be willing to actually put these things into practice. Otherwise, you're going to, listen, how sad is that? Otherwise, you're going to afflict with sorrow the Holy Spirit. I said before, it, it, I, see, I saw in a commentary, you know, I think it was Matthew Henry. The Holy Spirit's job is to go out into the world and convict it of sin. That's his job. His job is to go into all the world, all the human beings out there, the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin. But the ones that the Holy Spirit's grieved at is the child of God who's not walking in the Spirit. The child of God who's not willing to allow the Spirit of God to use them to influence others, not walking in the Spirit. That is a sad reality that we oftentimes don't see in the church world. We think that the people at the bar are grieving the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes it's the people in the church. His job is to go into the bar and bring, that's what, was, that's what I was saying earlier. God expects the world to act like the world. He expects the sinner to act like a sinner. That's what sinners do. But if you're a child of God, he expects you to act like a child of God and to live like a child of God. And, and that is 
not done in your own strength. It's done through the power of God working in you. It's done through the life of the Spirit working through your life, being connected to God through your faith in Jesus Christ empowers you by the Spirit of God to live unto God. It's not just to get goosebumps. I say sometimes, you know, I, I, I love seeing the Holy Spirit move, and if you want to do backflips or you want to crawl over pews or whatever, you want to hang from the chandeliers, go for it. But live it out too. Don't just let the Holy Spirit be a theatrical performance on Sundays, but actually walk in the power of the Spirit in the world. That's when you're a witness. That's when the Holy Spirit has a vessel we can use. That's when you stand out like a shining light in a dark world. The children of God. We can, it's a, it's a reality. We can, by our conduct, bring sorrow to the Spirit of God in us. Conversely, we can, uh, we, we can bring joy to the Spirit of God. When, you, when you're willing to walk opposite of your flesh, you're bringing joy to the Spirit. When you're willing to look at somebody and see they're not as good as you, <laughs> they're not as perfect as you, but when you're willing to see that and love them anyways and look past it and then edify them and build them up, the Holy Spirit, the opposite of grieving, is joyful. It's joyful. Oh, got a vessel I can use. Got someone I can, then the Holy Spirit's going to bring you into other situations. So, because He knows He's got a vessel that He can use to bring life where there's nothing but death. This is one who's actually going to live it out, who's actually going to put into practice the things I'm putting into them. That's when you begin to see God move you around. You may think you lost your job because, you know, well, I started serving God and I lost my... No, God's repositioning you for kingdom advancement. Losing that job may be the best thing that ever happened to you because God may be employing you in spiritual ways. But sometimes we get so carnal-minded, we don't see it. We don't see it. So... Let's finish this out. He says in verse number 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These, and that's the end of the negatives. It's the end of the, the, the negatives there. Now we're about to go to the positives. But as we, we leave out on the negatives, just a couple of, of points of reference. Bitterness. Bitterness will hinder any person's walk with God. Bitterness is swallowing a poison pill. The definition means poison or sharp. How many of you know when somebody does something 
that that is a sensitive issue, it will hit you in that bitter spot. That's when you have to choose God, not bitterness. And the only way you can do that is to walk in forgiveness and forbearance. And the malice there is talking about depravity and wickedness. Malice is talking about depravity and wickedness. You should have no part of that. Everybody else is talking, you know, everybody else is telling dirty jokes. You should be walking away. Everybody else is running down, you know, the, the Sunday school teacher or the worship leader or whatever. You should walk away. Everybody else looking at, you know, filthy images, dirty magazines or whatever. You should have no part of that. Sad reality, a lot of times in the Christian world, we may not do something, but we'll watch something. You're participating just by watching, even if you're not doing. Sad reality, we'll watch movies with adultery, fornication, homosexuality. Well, just because you're not doing it yourself doesn't mean you're not participating because you're allowing it into you. You're watching it with your eyes. And you're supposed to be redeemed. And, and just for the record, it, it's pretty hard to find any kind of TV show or movie without that kind of stuff in it. And yet, we wonder why the tears don't fall from our eyes anymore. We wonder why when, when, when there's an altar call, I never, I never want to go up there. Because we're so filled with the ways of the world. We're so inundated by wickedness. We're trying to live, we're trying to hold on to the, the horn of the altar with one and hold on to the world with the other. It's inconsistency. It's an inconsistency. If we're going to be for God, let's be for God. If we're going to be for God, let's be for God. It's, you know, one of, the sad, one of the sad realities I saw, I think it was last year, um, there was a big TV show. Um, I forget the name of it. It was something Thrones, a Game of Thrones or something. But they said it was one of the most popular TV shows in the church. People, people in the church world, pastors commenting about this TV show. And they said it was, it was filled with fornication, nudity, all kinds of stuff. And you got pastors watching this filth. And then we wonder why we have to manufacture a move of God with light bulbs. We wonder why, we got, why, why, why in our generation we got to flicker light bulbs so that we can manufacture a move of God because... Of that, we've condoned and allowed sin. And like I said, you may not be actively participating in it yourself, but if you're watching it, you are. You are. It's the same thing. You know, people tell dirty jokes, walk away from that stuff. That has no, that has no place in our lives. If you can help it, help it. If you can help it, help it. Walk away from it. Turn it off. If you can help it, get out of it. I remember one time we went, the last, last time me and my wife, we went on a date one time, and uh, 
last time we went to the movies, just me and her. And we thought it was just a good, you know, just a regular movie. That thing, within the first five minutes, we walked out. We had to get our money back. It didn't even say it was a bad movie. It didn't say anything about it. But it had so much just filthiness, bad language. It grieves the spirit of God. And, and, and you know what? Even if they didn't give me my money back, I still wasn't going back in there. But I thank God they gave me my money back. But, you know, there's times it may cost us to walk away from things. And if you're involved in something that's causing you to compromise, it's not of God. It's not of God. I've, I've seen that in, you know, I've seen that in, you know, people that want to get married or people that, that want to have a job. If, if you got to lie to get a job, you got to lie on your taxes so that you don't have to pay, or, or you got to, you know, compromise in the bedroom, it's not of God. It's not of God. You, it's just not. And, and too many times we, we allow these things into our lives and, and, and that inconsistency is permeating through the church world. We, we want to we have, have it our way and then expect God to have his way at the same time. It don't work like that. It's, it's supposed to be where God have your way and that's what we want rather than doing what we want and then asking God to bless it. It's like a, a meme I saw on, uh, online one time. Somebody had a, a big, like, four-decker cheeseburger with bacon and everything dripping off of it, and they said, Lord, bless this meal that I'm about to eat for the nourishment of my body. It's like, come on now. Come on. Let's, let's, not be, let's not be inconsistent. Let's not be inconsistent. And that's just a a picture of a reality that in the church world we have many inconsistencies and we wonder why the power of God doesn't move unless we flicker the light bulbs. And so this last verse, verse number 32, is when it turns to the positive. You might be like, Brother Kane, I'm ready for you to get to the positive part. Okay. Well, we're going to land it here on the positive part. Verse 32 it says, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, listen to that, for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Being tender-hearted, uh, Webster's Dictionary said it means well-compassioned. It means you're able to be compassionate towards others. That's what a tender heart is when you look at others and you go, oh, I want to help them out. Oh, I want to help them out. That's what it means to be tenderhearted. Anytime you've ever looked at a puppy, you were tenderhearted. You wanted to give it, a, you know, something. You wanted to pet it or whatever. You ever see a puppy, you're tenderhearted. Well, when God's people are tenderhearted, it's when you look on your brother or sister, even the ones that rub you the wrong way, and you go, oh, I want to help them out. I want to I encourage them. I want to bless them. I want to strengthen them. And this is forgive others, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. You know, God forgives you because of what Christ did on the cross. Amen. Not because of who you are or what you did. 
He forgives you because of what Jesus did. And in the same way, when you forgive others, you say, I'm forgiving you for Christ's sake. Because of what Jesus did for me, I can forgive you. And that's what God says to us. God says, I'm not forgiving you because you asked. I'm forgiving you because you appropriated what Christ did. For the work he did, I'm forgiving you. So God has us doing the same thing he does. He's appropriating that work that Christ did at Calvary. And that's when you'll begin to get that consistency going in your life again, and you'll begin to see the power of God moving in your life again. Amen? Father, we bless you tonight, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the work of your Spirit in our lives.